G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The Story when we sat down with our accountant and they said, well, we've made this profit, so we need to give the first fruits uh, to the Lord. And I said to him, are you crazy? We, we, we nearly went broke during this period. And now you want to give away the little bit of capital we've got? He said, it's the Lord's. And uh, so we gave it all away to the homeless mission in Sydney at the time. And, you know, from that, I think the Lord has blessed us. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, sometimes when you hear about highly successful people, you kind of assume that things have always been that way for them. But that definitely has not been the case for Graham Leishman. Even though he's the chairman of the Transit Systems Group, which operates over 1,000 buses in different parts of Australia, his businesses have not always been successful. Today, he'll share the long and winding road he's been on and the role his faith has played in his life. He's having a chat with Shelley Scowen. You grew up in a Christian home. I believe it was in Sydney, is that right? Yes, on the central coast of Sydney at a place called Gosford. Yeah. Grew up there and um, was trained there, trained as an engineering surveyor uh, in the early days. Went to Bible College, the Baptist Bible College at uh, Eastwood Epping in mm-hmm. those days and, and then went back. Well, I went to university to train to do psychology, but because of an accident to my father, uh, needed to go back and get involved in the family bus company, which operated at Boy Boy, at Long, New Minor, through to Gosford, and uh, take over the running of that business because he was incapacitated for a number of months. Right. So I was always going to go back to university, but I never got there. I'm <laughs> still running buses. Uh, is that, uh, I wouldn't say a regret, but is it something that you'd like to just do one day, or have you just kind of given up on, on all of that? Well, I've pretty well given up on it. Yeah. I, I would have liked to to have gone back to it at one stage um, and been involved. The idea of that was always wanted to help people, etc. Mm. Uh, but it just didn't work out. It didn't seem to be the plan that God had laid out for me. Yeah. So, you know, it just went in a different direction what I planned altogether. Yeah. But How- it's been good and it's been a good good journey so far. Yeah. Part of it. Have you all always been a little bit entrepreneurial? I think so, yes. Um yeah, I, I was brought up with a father that was very entrepreneurial, and I guess I just picked up the bug <laughs> and uh, followed on, always prepared to take risk, which my wife doesn't always like. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're risk takers, and I notice that my sons do the same thing and my daughter. So I think it's sort of in the DNA. Yeah. Yep. And when they see it modelled as well, there is a healthy level of risk taking that makes you successful in business. Yes, that's correct. And it can also ruin you. That's right. And a lot of the risk-taking, you know, I've noticed over the years is that you can do a project at one certain at a certain time and, and it's very successful, you know, particularly in property and, and with the cycles, etc. You do exactly the same project three or four years later and you go broke. Yeah. So a lot of the risk-taking and, and the entrepreneurial comes down to just timing, getting the timing right. Mm. And uh, if, you, if you get the timing wrong, it could be a disaster. Mm. But the project could be good if the timing's right. So, you know, there's a lot of it that's outside of your control. 
sometimes. How much do you seek God in these decisions? Well, we, my business partners, which I have two, with three families involved in transit systems. Each of us are Christians. Um, we we pray before each board m- meeting, uh, and we all pray together, etc. At that board meeting, we, we're not close to each other anymore in the sense of location-wise. We used to be all in the same area, but now I live in Brisbane, and one of my other partners is in London, and another one's in, in uh, on the Gold Coast. So we don't get together as often as we'd like, but we do uh, tithe from our business. Um, each of us, we used to have a bit of a problem what to give to because we could never reach agreement. We all had our own interests. So it wasn't very far to reach a position where our money that we were going to donate each year and share with, with uh, you know, less fortunate people and, and ministries, etc., we decided that we'd split our, our giving up into three and we'd each have our own areas. So that's worked out really well. And one of my business partners very heavily involved in African ministry in Sierra, Sierra Leone mm-hmm. and another one in the Philippines and I've done a lot in India and, um, and Africa. Yeah. So we have our own areas and yes, that's good, but we're not together as much as we'd like to be. Yeah. Can I just talk to you about the tithing for businesses? We hear a lot in the Bible about tithing as individuals. What's the importance of businesses tithing? Well, can I take you back a bit? Yeah. You know, when I was first setting out when, with my father in the, but small, the relatively small bus company in, in the Woi Woi Peninsula area, which was about 40 buses, uh, and we'd gone through a very difficult period financially and I'd come back into the business and we'd lost, uh, the, the business had lost a lot of money with, with a certain uh, re- regime in place and, and Dad said, well, we have to turn around, so we had to make some major changes in the business personnel-wise, which we did, and we turned the business around and, and then we made a relatively small profit for the rest of that year, that financial year. And when we sat down with our accountant and Dad said, well, we've made, we made this profit, so we need to give the first fruits uh, to the Lord. And I said to him, are you crazy? We, we, we nearly went broke during this period, mm. and now you want to give away the little bit of capital with God. He said, it's the Lord's. And uh, so we gave it all away to the homeless mission in Sydney at the time. And, you know, from that, I think the Lord has blessed us. I can't point to anything quite clearly and say this is because of that, although I believe it is. And we've done extremely well. We've had our ups and downs since then and some major downs. But overall, we've never missed out on a, on a, on a feed or never gone short on clothes or whatever. We've always been looked after. So I think it's important. And, um, you know, the Lord says in Malachi 3, you know, try me in this thing, test me and see if I don't open the floodgates of heaven if you bring in the tithes. Mm. And it's the only place in Scripture where I'm aware where, where the Lord says, try me in this, test me. And, and he won't fail the test. You can't mm. outgive God. So we've been very, very successful in that sense. And, and I just give all the glory to Jesus, our Lord. Yeah, and it's not like we give in order to receive back as well. That's an important distinction to make. It's not like we give as some sort of a, a financial investment so that we get some money back. 
that often happens, but it is just wonderful to be able to bless other people and ministries and all the rest in the things that they're doing. And it, it would be encouraging for you to think about the number of lives that have changed as a result of this giving, which is um, only a, a small part of you know what you do. That's exactly right. And, yeah. and I agree with you um, totally, Kelly, with the motive. If you're giving to get, well, it doesn't work. Yeah. So you've just got to be careful on that because the Lord looks at the at the motive, the reason behind what you're doing things, and if you're doing it for self-grandizement or something, then yes, that's a problem. Mm. But I guess we'll never know the lives that have been touched until we get into the next world, I suppose. Yeah. But you know, every so often I get a story come back to me of something we've been able to assist with and, and someone's been blessed through it, and that really lifts your spirits and makes you even more determined to go on with the path that we're, we're walking. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you took on your dad's coach business uh, in New South Wales and that started to grow. In October 1989 was a pretty defining moment for you though, wasn't it, Graham? Yes, it was. It was uh, one of the worst times of my life where we, one of our uh, express coaches operating between Sydney and Brisbane was hit by a semi-trailer um, which created at that stage the worst road accident deaths in one accident in Australia's history mm. and 21 people were killed unfortunately um, and it just tore us apart as a business. We you know, we were so upset about what had happened to these people. We, we felt that we were in, because our coach was involved there's a certain degree of blame and shame and etc. I mean in the long run it was found that the truck driver had fallen asleep at the wheel and gone straight ahead at a, at a, at a round curve on the road and cleaned up our coach and we were given a complete clean bill of health but it didn't help and didn't help the families that were involved that lost their loved ones so it was very very sad. Mm. Resulted in us uh, at losing our business um, because of the, the immediate down trade that happened um, so our sales fell through the floor and, uh, you know, it was a very, very difficult period with our bankers, etc. So mm. it wasn't a good period and something that really opened my heart to the Lord again to remind us that we just need to be in his hands and have him holding us at all times. Mm. Yeah, because like you say, there is that financial aspect of it. Like you say, the business going right down. But to a certain extent, you would almost feel like that, that blood is on your hands as well. And, you know, you, you walk down the street and you think, who's looking at me sort of thing. Yeah. And until the coroner's report came out and gave us a complete clear bill, 100% blame was to the truck, whether the truck driver had been on some sort of pep pills or something and had driven for almost 36 hours mm. and uh, went to sleep at the wheel, they believed, and just tore our coach apart as he hit mm. it. So it was extremely bad. But, you know, more, more so obviously for the families involved, it was just heartbreaking. Yeah something I don't want to go through again. We don't operate any express coaches anymore. We don't operate any coaches, just local buses. Right. I don't want to be involved in that again ever. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to The Story. Today, Shelley Scowan is chatting with the chairman of the Transit Systems Group, Graeme Leishman. And as we just heard, running a large business has not been without its challenges. Next, Graham will share how God provided for him when he thought he'd lost everything. That and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. 
Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax. You're listening to The Story. Today, Shelley Scowen is having a chat with Graeme Leishman, the chairman of the Transit Systems Group, which operates over 1,000 buses in different parts of Australia and a number of double-decker buses in London. Before the break, we heard about his upbringing. Next, Graeme will share an incredible story of God's provision and more about the ups and downs of running a large business. Talk to us a bit about um, the, the buses that you do operate, because um, some of them are fairly notable ones, particularly in London. Yes, yeah, we, we operate around about 500 of the uh, iconic red double-deckers, mm. and we also operate Route 25, which goes from Oxford Circus out to East London, which is the highest loading service in, in, in London, and on Route 25 alone, we carry 23 million people a year, which is basically Australia's population. Wow. So it's just incredible. Uh, that service runs 24 hours a day. Uh, it just during the daylight hours, a few minutes apart, like two to three minute timetable, and later in the evening and through the early morning, etc., a 10 minute timetable. So it's, um, it is iconic, and, and it's, a, as I said, the largest single loading, passenger loading service in London. Mm. So we operate that one. Is that like the holy grail of bus operating? Pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> if you ask my business partner who's moved to London with my son, Adam, um, Adam's taking his family over there to, to run the businesses, and Neil Smith, my business partner, uh, is always, he's a bit of a bus nut, and he's always wanted to run buses in London because, as he calls it, it is the, the mecca of buses. Of yeah. Space. And he's in it like a pig in mud at the moment. <laughs> I love how some people are just so passionate about what they do. Like some people are IT nerds, some people are whatever nerds. It sounds like you guys are bus nerds and you just love it. That's yeah, awesome. I mean, I grew up, you know, on a, in a bus company basically as, as a young boy and I'd smell the diesel start coming, diesel fumes would come <laughs> through the bedroom windows early in the morning before I even woke up. Oh, I love it. So, you know, right next door was a, a yard almost in there, Long Beach at the time, just one block back and 25, 30 buses in there. And I used to love to get down there and wash buses on weekends and couldn't wait till I could get a licence, but the father wouldn't let me get one until I was, you know, right age, etc. But yes, it becomes a bit of an obsession. Not yeah. quite as bad as Neil Smith, he's an absolute bus. <laughs> But uh, yeah. well, that's when you know you've got the right job, hey? Mm, I guess that's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of people say, how can you get excited about running buses? Well, you do. Well, it's, it's crazy, as you say. <laughs> but yes, I, I love doing it and trying to sort out efficiencies and making mm. everything operate better all the time. So. Yeah. And so as your business was growing, I think it's easy to, um, I guess, start thinking of yourself as a, a fairly important kind of person. And you were in that kind of position of going, I've got all this going on. Yes, it's by the help of God, but maybe God was some um, starting to get a bit pushed out of this picture when uh, you had another financial scare. Uh, yes, um, a little bit pushed out, but maybe relegated a bit. Mm. But, you know, I've always been strong in my faith, when, particularly with my wife. Um, but yes, there were ups and downs, and there was a timing when we got some of the things wrong in the timing, and. Yeah, we did go through very difficult times again financially. 
won't bore you with all the details, but long short of it was we lost just about everything mm. and had nothing um, for quite a while. Mm. Um, we had a home and that was about it. Mm. So it was a difficult period, but then opportunities... But it's worth... Can I just jump in there? I think it is worth noting that much of that wasn't your own fault. It was due to internal politics within the bank that you were dealing with. It wasn't really... You had a very small part to play in all of that. Um, it was fairly well due to internal politics in the bank. But uh, it was a bit of a wake-up call for you guys. It was. It was in that period back in the early uh, 90s where the banks did a lot of things to a lot of people across Australia. That was, uh, you know, really, really bad. We were operating on... In the interest in those days was 17%. For those that remember, it was the recession we had to have. Um, and it was very difficult to work under those conditions. And, and then, as you said, there was a internal division within the bank and a bit of a warfare inside the bank and one guy trying to outmaneuver another guy and we got lined up in the crosshairs and, uh, and were put into a receivership at the time. So it was very difficult and even to understand why it happened. You know, I kept saying, why, Lord, why? What's this all about, you know? Mm. But other opportunities opened up a couple of years later that we would have never had and, and, and the business has grown since then. So, you know, I look back and say, yes, it was a difficult time. I don't understand why we went through it, but then I can see the hand of the Lord even protecting us through that period. We didn't want for anything. We always had a feed. So, um, mm. yeah, we came through it. But, you know, I feel for the farmers in our land that mm. go through similar situations through no fault of their own droughts or the commodity prices or whatever, you know, they suffer and your heart goes out to them. You just pray for them every day. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Did you find that that time was a time that you kind of recalibrated your life and what was actually important to you? Absolutely. And I think what you said earlier, I did get a little bit proud. Uh, I wasn't spending enough time with my family and my children. And then I found I had seven days a week to spend with my kids because I didn't have a job anymore. So that was difficult. But It's I a did. blessing in disguise. Yeah, it was. It was lovely. And the kids were small at that stage. And, and they enjoyed having a father for the first time, really. Yeah. So, you know, I've always since then learned that I have the weekends off and, and nothing can come in except our emergency I suppose but the kids have grown up now but I spent a lot of time with the kids at cricket and netball and all that sort of stuff and I loved it and I'm in some ways very very glad I didn't miss out on it and it was brought about through actions that mm. beyond my control you know? yeah yeah it's amazing the lessons that we learn and oftentimes we learn those lessons in the harshest of life circumstances rather than when things are going really well we learn a few lessons then but it's usually the big lessons that we learn when things aren't going so well when you're on your knees when you're brought to your knees mm. and you realize that you really have no control yourself you're really dependent upon the lord and you know, through his strength we can do all things that that he allows us to do and, and the blessings flow and, and we were on our knees very much so and just changed my life and my attitude um, I lost a lot of that pride I got the rough edges belted off as my wife tells me <laughs> and I had a few she keeps reminding me so yes you're right it, it is uh, a humbling experience but an experience which no doubt did me really good yeah go through yeah Graham, you had an incredible time in your life. You've just been uh, telling us about how you lost everything. Basically, you were out of a job. In many ways, it was a blessing in disguise in that you learned a lot of lessons in that time. Tell us about how God ended up coming through for you in that time. Well, it was interesting. 
when we got into trouble and the bank decided that they were going to um, take action, we actually had, oh, I had a large parcel of land, 40 acres of land in a little suburb in Brisbane's base I called Cleveland, which I'd actually bought to build a new bus depot on because we operated the buses in that area. And bought it around about the same time that all this was going on, but it wasn't bought through the bus company. I bought it personally and wasn't uh, given as collateral to the bank. So when the bank said that we were, they did feel we had enough um, reserves, and I said, well, look, I've got this parcel of land here that you know, we were going to build this bus depot on, and you know, I'm ready, willing, and able to give it to you or transfer the, if, you know, as security for some extra time for us just to sort out all these issues that you feel issues, which weren't really issues, but anyway. Um, and they said, no, no, we don't want your land. It's not worth anything, blah, blah, blah. So they didn't uh, take that opportunity or request of mine to give us some extra time, and they took action to close us down. And when they actually had time to look at the land properly, so it's a long story, make it very short for you, uh, I went into the council to see the council, and the council said, uh, you know, the council officer said, this is your land. He pulled out a plan. And on it was this block of land with all these blocks on it. And I said, no, 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 that's not my land. I bought some rural land to, to get an approval to build a bus depot. And he said, no, that's your land. And it turned out it was our land. And the previous owner who sold it to me didn't even tell me that he had approval for a subdivision on it. And uh, because we had to buy it so quickly uh, at the time, he was short of cash and he wanted it all done in seven days. So we bought the land and, and then found out we had 60 blocks, you know, subdivision with 60 blocks on it. So we could actually do that, and, and that gave us the wherewithal for my family to to get fed and to um, move on and take the next opportunity in, in the entrepreneur's life of risk-taking somewhere else. Mm. So one of the bank managers that was friends with my accountant in Sydney at the time said, Graham, I'm willing to lend you the money to do the development. So away we went. and, and I believe the Lord provided that for us and knew what was going to what was going to happen to us before it even happened, and provided the way of escape. And you know, I love that verse in Isaiah which says, "Before you called out to me, I answered you." And that's exactly what happened. When I started calling out, he said, "Well, here's the answer. You've already got it." Yeah. And we were able to survive as a family and gave us the opportunity to have some um, cash to to look for another business and and to start again. So, wow. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing just some of your stories today. And no problem. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Kelly. That was Shelley Scowen chatting with Graeme Leishman, chairman of the Transit Systems Group, a company that transports almost 200 million people annually. And as we've just heard, things weren't always easy for Graeme, but he's always had a positive outlook and a strong faith that the Lord would help him get through the various challenges in business and in life. As he shared, a verse in Isaiah was helpful to him. It says, Before you call, I will answer. While you are yet speaking, I will hear comforting words from the Lord for all of us. Well, thanks for joining us for Graham's insightful story today. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. They would have to sit in the river all night long and do all these different rituals and stuff uh, to gain the Spirit's favour. And the Spirit's would tell them, if you can do these things and get it all right, then you'll go to heaven. There'll be this basket will be let down and you'll be taken up to heaven in this basket. Um, So as they listened to the Word of God and as they heard what God said, they started to realise that, hey, you know, this isn't true. 
The Higaon and tribal people in the Philippines had lived for centuries enslaved to superstitions until one day the village witch doctor had a dream that white men would come with a book. That's when Australian missionaries Ron and Michelle Jennings entered into the picture and were used by the Lord to help set them free from bondage. We'll hear that incredible story next time. The The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.